You are listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. This week, Pastor Aaron brings us Do You Have Swag? Part 3. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. My wife and I are happy to be back. We spent a week at Disneyland, and now we need a vacation. I've heard it said that if your children go with you, it is not a vacation, it is a trip. And they were right. We took a trip to Disneyland, and now we need a vacation. But I got my workout in for the year. So the good news is, those 60 miles we walked in six days, we're good. Don't ask me to do anything else. I'm never going to the gym again for the rest of the year. I'm good. Do this with me. Uh, grab your Bibles. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. If you don't have them, just read it up on the screen. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7. And it says this, Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. Uh, and when he came to the town gate, a, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and one more thing, bring it to me, please, a, pre a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I do not have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain upon the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Spoken by Elijah. So we have been on a series over the past uh, number of weeks on moving forward in your finances. And the title of this series has been, Do You Have Swag? Do you have swag? And uh, swag stands for this, stewarding well, accumulating aggressively, and give generously. Stewarding well, that we need to be good stewards in our lives, that we need to accumulate aggressively so that why we can give generously. And if you haven't heard the first two parts of this series, I highly encourage you to go to our podcast, download them, listen to them. Uh, we handed out a book to every single adult in our church. If you did not get one or have not started reading it, I highly encourage you to go to an usher, give them your information so that they can get you a book. Uh, but what we've been talking about is how we need to have stewardship in our lives. And we've talked about how if you can't be a good steward of what God has given you, why would you be able to handle more? Why would God give you more if you can't steward what he's already given you well? We talked about how your finances are a training ground, that they're training ground for God to begin to teach you so that you can begin to reign with him, that the reward of faithfulness in your finances is to share in the king's authority, right? We remember this stuff? 
Good. And we talked about how the finances, the possessions that you have in your life is actually teaching you how to receive the true riches. What are the true riches? True riches are the eternal things of life, the things that matter most, the, the healthy relationships, the, the good family, the, the praying for somebody and seeing them get healed, the things that are eternal in your life that your finances are a training ground for God to begin to give you the true riches in your life. And we talked to, uh, about debt and we talked about budgeting. We talked about investing all things that actually are spoken about in Scripture. And we discussed those things at length. We talked about tithing, about giving the first, as, as Jeremy mentioned this morning, and, and, and giving to the Lord 10% every time you get paid. It's a test. And every time you get paid, you take a test. Who will you trust the Lord with? Not, you and the Lord with 90% is better? Or do you think that you on your own with 100% is better? And God says, test him in that. It's the only thing in Scripture that you can actually test the Lord in. So we've been dissecting what the Bible says about finances. And today we're going to end, hallelujah, you're all like, finally, we're done talking about money. Today we're going to end and talk about giving generously. Now, I need you when we talk about money. It's an easy subject to be quiet. It's an easy subject to sit there and glaze over. I want to challenge you to listen, to take notes today. Encourage me. Help me get excited as I'm speaking about money. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk about giving generously. And in the same way that God blesses you when you give uh, supernaturally, it's the same way that God blesses you when you steward well. God will supernaturally bless you when you give the same way he will supernaturally bless you when you steward well. And if we were to look at scripture, we would see that generosity and giving is one of the primary aspects of scripture. In fact, if we were to say what the subject of the Bible is, the subject is probably God. That's probably easy to ascertain, but the verb of the Bible is probably give. Give. What's the verse everybody knows? John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave his one and only son for you and for me. That loving and giving are synonymous with one another. You can give to something and not love some but something. But if you love something, you will give to it. It's something you always will do. If you love something, you will give to it. What you love, you will give to. Now, growing up in my family, we had this rule that, that we couldn't date till we were 18 years old. It's a great rule. If you're all looking for a rule to how to teach your kids not date until you're 18 is a great rule. So there was a girl that I liked growing up in high school. I dated one person before my wife, and then I met the love of my life, and I've been with her ever since. Hallelujah. But there was one girl who I had to learn, I had to learn with. And uh, so I liked her all through high school, and when I was about ready to turn 18, I was like, this is the one. I thought I loved her. I'm like, I'm going to make this amazing. So I had this whole thing orchestrated. So I turned 18 March 1st, and it was like a week later. I, I, I called her at midnight and left a voicemail on her phone. So when she woke up the next morning, right, it would be the first things that she sees. I thank God for the 21st century. Like, imagine sending a, a letter in the mail and hoping it arrives at the right time. So she gets this, this text message, and it says, we can start dating. Go to this location and meet me at such and such a time. So it's a, a location in downtown Portland. She goes there, and I'm not there, but a dozen roses are there with, like, this, this, this riddle. 
And it takes her to another place. And at that place, another dozen roses with another riddle. And I send her on this treasure hunt until she finally comes to me at the last place at a park in downtown Portland with a horse-drawn carriage. And I'm sitting there, right? Come on. Come on. I was setting myself up for a disaster. Like, how do you do the second date after that? So I'm in there with a horse-drawn carriage. And I got chocolates and blankets and gifts. Like, bro, I'm going all out. So she comes, she's like crying, we're going through uh, downtown Portland in this horse-drawn carriage, and then we go have dinner at this really, really nice restaurant, and then to top it all off, I've got a limo waiting for us at the end to drive us home after dinner, like all out. Now, it's hard to go up from there. So I set myself up for disaster, and the funny part is, uh, when I, my wife and I first started dating, I think I spent like $20 on the first date. Like, there was a lot of stewardship that I learned over the course of the time from the first girl to my wife. But I thought I loved her, so that's why I wanted to give everything. I wanted to be extravagant because I thought I, thought I loved her. And you will, it's easy to tell what you love by what you give to. Like if we looked at your bank statement and we saw red leaf, red leaf, red leaf, red leaf, like we get it, you love coffee. Target, Nordstrom's, base, whatever it is, right, we get it. In my wife's case, it'd be like supplements, it would be like oils, I'm like, we get it, you like to be healthy, but what you love, you will give to, right, we know this. And you may be thinking like, why are we talking about finances in church, like we're supposed to talk about peace and joy and hope. See, the reality is that God actually talks about finances and money and possessions more than anything else in all of the, all of the Bible. Is it because he needs your money? Is it because he needs your possessions? No, but he realizes that it oftentimes has your heart and you find your value in those things. And so in order to get to your heart, he has to go through those things. In fact, 18 out of the 38 parables that Jesus talked about were about money and possessions. That in scripture, there are about 500 scriptures on prayer, about 500 scriptures on faith, and over 2,000 scriptures on money and possessions. God cares about how you use your money. Not just the giving of the 10, but what do you do with the 90? What do you do with everything else? And so part of what we want to do is we want to create a culture that understands what generosity looks like, what understands stewardship looks like, learns how to accumulate so we can give generously. And one of the, the primary things to understand when it comes to generosity is the living nature of money. If you want to learn how to be generous, you need to understand first and foremost the living nature of money. And in 2 Corinthians verse 9, ver, sorry, chapter 9, verse 6, we've got the Apostle Paul, and he's speaking a verse that many of us are familiar with, and he says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work I love this because it simply says that you hold the keys to receive the level of blessing from the Lord you give generously, he gives generously to you. You give reluctantly and sparingly, that's what you get back. And Paul uses money and relates it to seed in this scripture. He relates it to seed. And, and if you're not a giver, you'll look at $20 and you'll say it's just $20. That's it. There's nothing more, nothing else about it. It's just $20 and that's it. But when it comes to seed, there's three different things you can do with it. The first one is this, is that you can eat it. 
You can eat seeds. You can take your money and you can spend it. You can take the seed and you can eat it. And when you eat it, it dies. So the first thing that you can do with seed is you eat it and it dies. The second thing is you can save it. Right? You can save seed, and what happens when you save it? It becomes dormant. Nothing happens. You just set it aside. It doesn't go into the ground. It's dormant. The first one is you eat it, which means it's dead. Second one, you save it, and it's dormant. Third one is when you give it to the Lord, it becomes dynamic, and it becomes alive, and it has life. When you give it to the Lord, your money actually becomes alive. And if you were to go to a farmer and you were to ask that farmer, if he's planting seeds in the ground, and you said, hey, Mr. Farmer, what are you doing right now? You would not hear him say this, well, I'm just losing seed. I'm just putting seed in the ground, and I'm just losing seed. He wouldn't say that because he understands that the secret to receiving his future provision is found in the planting of his present seed. The secret of his future provision is found in the planting of his present seed. That, that this principle of sowing, a farmer understands very, very well. And if you're not a giver and you've got $10 and God asks you to give one to him, your first thought process, I'm losing a dollar. If I give it to God, I'm losing a dollar. But see, what you've got to realize is just like that, that the, the farmers, he's not losing the seed. He is sowing the seed. And when you give it to the Lord, your money is not dead. It is not dormant. It is dynamic, and it comes alive. You, in your own ability, can only add and subtract from your life financially. But when you give it to the Lord, you begin to partner with the God of multiplication. All of a sudden, the math changes when you give it to the Lord. See, when a farmer plants, he's planting expecting He's planting, expecting a harvest. He's not, he's not sad. He's hopeful. Why? Because he knows that the secret to the future provision is found in the planting. And I'm here to tell you today that the secret to your future provision is found in generosity and in giving. That if you want to receive blessing, it begins with understanding that you've got to first be a giver. And I love this because Paul in this scripture, he's speaking to the saints in Corinth. He's actually taking an offering in this passage of scripture. And he's saying, do not give reluctantly, but give with joy. Be excited about your giving and do not think that you're sacrificing. Do not think that you're sacrificing by giving. And this is so important because so many of us, we give and we're like, oh, it's painful. First fruits last week I gave and it was so hard. It's like, no, I'm sowing, baby. I'm giving to something and I'm making it dynamic and alive. I'm putting it in the best place I can possibly put it with the God who only knows how to multiply things. What a freeing thought. It's exciting. It's dynamic. It comes alive. In Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, it says, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Look at those first two verses again. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. I mean, in the kingdom of God, it's fascinating. Like, the last will be first. If you want to receive, you need to give. Like, if you withhold, poverty is in your future. 
If you give, you'll receive. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've been at a place where I need God to come through. Right, if we were to have a show of hands, I'm sure there's many people in this room where you felt like you had nothing. You needed God to come through in your life financially and his response to you was, then give. And it's amazing how when we begin to partner with the principle in God's word to, to sow, to give, the harvest can then actually come. It's hard to receive a harvest when there's no seeds in the ground. You need to become a sower in your life. Begin to plant those seeds so God can return them to you. And oftentimes, oftentimes we have a culture that is all about materialism. I've got to get the new greatest thing. I've got, to, I've got to look a certain way. I've got to go get the new clothes. I've got to go get the new car. I've got to get the house that I can't afford. I've got to get the car that is as much as I make in an entire year. And part of the reason why we can't be generous is because we're looking at what we have to meet a need inside of us. I'm looking at my money as my need meter. My money is not my provider. My boss is not my provider. My check and my bank account is not my provider. God is my provider. And I am not going to look to my money to beat me. I'm not going to look for my money to bring me joy. I'm going to look for God to bring me joy. And when I begin to see him that way, I start to actually make good decisions with my money. Too often we don't have a right perspective of the Lord. See, God wants to bless you. I said this a couple weeks ago, he wants to bless you for two reasons. One, number one, is because he's a good dad. And number two, is because he wants you to be a blessing. He loves you, and he wants you to be a blessing. We've got to understand why God wants to bless us. We've got to understand the father that actually loves us. My son, I've shared this story before, but uh, basically every birthday and every Christmas, we ask him to take some of his toys and to go give them away. That before you're going to receive, you need to be a giver and to enjoy it, like we don't take them and go give them away for him, he has to do the act on his own. So he begins to build up this, this culture in his life of being a giver. And a couple years ago I asked him, I said, Israel, you was way into Hot Wheels, hallelujah for Hot Wheels in the dark of the night when you step on them. And he goes, but thank God they're only a dollar. So if you throw them away, it's not that painful. It's only a dollar. So he has about a thousand Hot Wheels, so I'm like, Israel, uh, go grab some of your Hot Wheels and give them to your friends. He's around four or five, and he comes back, and he grabs his brand-new Hot Wheels, the ones he just received a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, Israel, don't give those away. Go find the ones that you don't play with anymore. Go get the ones that you don't like, the ones that are a little run down. He's like, no, Dad, I don't want to give those away. I want to give these away because these are the good ones. I'm like, son, I just bought you those. Go back, put those away, and grab the old ones. He's like, Dad, I don't even like those. Why would I want to give those away? I want to give away the good ones. See, why did he do that? Because he understood that his father wanted to bless him, and he didn't have any worries. I'll give away my best ones because I'm going to get good ones again. And he wanted to give his best. See, so often we look at what we've got, and we're like, I'll give the leftover. But see, just as when my son gave his best, I'm like, son, this birthday about ready to have just got way better. Because I just saw something in you that I'm like, I want to reward that. I want to, I want to say thank you. Our God is not too much different. He's looking for people to say, I'll give my best. I want to sow generously. I want to be extravagant in my giving. And he can say, that's somebody that I can sow into. That's somebody that I can bless because they're willing to give it away. Too often we hold what we have with a closed fist. We're like, I don't know if I could trust the Lord with it. But it's time to open it up and say, okay, God, it all comes from you anyways. So however you want me to give it, here it is. Because 
I can't make it on my own. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough great ideas and strategies, but you do. So you want me to give it? I'll give it. This right perspective of the Lord is so important, and how we view money is so imperative that it's not meeting our needs, but he is our need meter. And when we have this perspective that says that my stuff or my money meets my needs, what ends up happening is we create a lifestyle that doesn't even have space for generosity. You actually cannot be generous when you have bad stewardship. You cannot be generous if you have bad stewardship. There was a time, this was a couple years ago, when I gave a sum of money and I thought, man, I'm good. I just gave a lot of money. And I felt really good about myself. And the Lord came to me and said, you actually did not give that much because you didn't have good principles in your life. You were actually needing to give a whole lot more, but you can't even afford it. And if you had disciplines in your life, you could have actually become generous. But now you're just giving what's left over. That actually generosity begins with two steps before. It begins with stewardship and it begins with accumulation. Because if we had a show of hands in this room of how many people would love to be generous but actually can't afford it right now, I bet you we'd have over 50% raise their hands and say, I actually can't afford to be very generous. But you and I are actually called to be generous all the time, no matter how much you make, no matter how much or how little. And it begins with implementing stewardship and disciplines in your life so you can actually give. We extend ourselves in such a way to where we can't actually become generous. And what I'm telling you is you've got to go back and start from the beginning. And my wife, we've done this numerous times in our lives when God has asked us to step up giving. We're like, okay, we got to go back again. Let's start over at the basics. Let's look at stewardship. How do we accumulate? How do we have discretionary income so we can give when you're asking us to give? Amen? <laughs> How you doing? Good. So let's go back to this story. In 1 Kings 17, we've got Elijah and the widow. Right? There's a famine in the land. And Elijah comes to the widow. And he says this. He said, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now notice something very important in this story is that Elijah says to her, bring me some bread. And her first response is, I don't have any. All I've got is flour and oil. What does that equal? Bread. She had the ingredients of bread but she says, I have no bread. Let me say it a different way. I want you to be generous, but God, I don't have any money. I don't have anything to be generous with. Well, what do you have? I just have flour and I have oil. That's perfect. That'll work. Right, Moses, I don't have anything. How am I going to do this? Well, what's in your hand? It's a stick. That'll work. Oftentimes, we have the ingredients in our life for what God's asking us to do, but we despise it because we're expecting a harvest. But we've got to understand that we've got seed in our hand, and he's just looking for people who will be willing to take the seed and say, I'll scatter it. I'll multiply it for you. You just got to scatter it. Just let it go and don't hold on to it. But stop despising the ingredients that you have in your life. Right now, you can be generous. 
right now. You don't have to wait till you make more money. You don't have to wait till you get the raise. You don't have to wait till the debt's paid off. You can be generous today. Why? Because in my own hand, the ingredients are only for one meal. It's only going to last me one meal, but when I give it to God, it lasts me for years. All I know is how to add and subtract. I can just add more in or I can take it away, but somehow God can multiply it in my life. When I give it to him, the game changes. But too often we look at what we have, we look at our bank statement, we look at our debt, we look at our finances, we look at our income and say, I can't afford to be generous. I can't afford, I don't have any money to give, Lord. It's like, well, what do you have? All I've got is the ingredients. Great, use that. All I've got is a little, perfect. It was our last meal. Has anybody here ever been at a place where you've been at your end and God's been like, give it? Like there's been times where my wife and I, it was like near the end of the month and we weren't gonna get paid until a few more days and he's like, give it away. And I'm like, but how are we gonna eat? Give it. And we gave it and it's amazing how the Lord always provided. He honors the trust. He honors the faith. It's like the little boy with the lunch. The five loaves and the two fish, the Jewish happy meal. And Jesus comes to him and he says, will you give me your lunch, essentially? And he gives it to Jesus. And that one lunch fed thousands of people. In the boy's hand, that was only enough to feed him for a day. But when he gave it to Jesus, it fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. What you have will seem insignificant. It will seem insignificant. It's just 100 bucks. That's all it is. Why is it a big deal? God, is it really going to make it or break it if I don't give this 100 it's just, It's just an extra this, or it's just giving that, or it's just paying for that person, or it's just sewing into this. It's really not that big of a deal. There's a lot of people in this church, so you know they're all going to give. It's amazing how God can take the seemingly insignificant and use it to shape history. Use it to save a family. Use it to feed thousands of people. And see, my wife and I, we've been on this journey now for quite about the last six months, really for our whole marriage, but really the last six months, God's been challenging us to begin to give extravagantly, challenging us to a place to say, you want to walk in the fullness that I have for you. I want you to learn radical generosity. Radical generosity. I want to tell you a story that about uh, July of last year, my wife and I, we've been planning for a while to buy property and to build on it. And so we, we put an offer on a house and, or on some property, and uh, it was accepted, and we went through the process of doing some due diligence, and we found out there were some things with the land that we didn't like. And so we're like, we actually rescinded the offer, we went back to the drawing board, we just began to pray, and we really felt like we were going to have to sell our house to build. And we felt like God said, if you save for a year, you'll be able to keep your house and build and never have to sell your house because you'll have enough to actually build on your own. So we're like, great. It's a great plan. Let's stay for a year. Like, right, delay gratification. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's amazing when you delay something, how you have enough to actually do it the right way. So we're like, let's save. Let's do it the right way. Let's not be impatient. And so we begin to save. And I went to my wife a couple weeks in, and I was like, babe, I'm scared. Like, I feel like if we save all this money, like God's going to ask us to give it away. I'm like, this is just not going to turn out well. We're never going to get this house. And, uh, and I was telling her, because a couple weeks ago I shared how because of our senior leadership team here, I actually don't work here uh, during the week. I work as an investment advisor and a partner in a firm in Clackamas. And I'm like, babe, I know where I could hide this to where God couldn't reach it. Like I can put some, some fees on there, some other things where if I pull it out before the time comes, like I'll be like, God, sorry, you wouldn't want me to do that, so I just won't do that. Like I was literally strategizing, how do I keep this from the Lord? Y'all laughing, but you do the same thing. 
So sure enough, I didn't do anything, and a couple weeks later, I'm like, God spoke to me, babe, and he wants us to give away everything we have after the first few months. And thankfully, that was it. I was like, it's just after the first few months. She's like, okay, let's do it. So we made this decision. Whatever we have saved by the end of the year, we're going to give it away. So we're in Dallas, Texas, the beginning of December of this last year, and it's a Saturday night. I'm laying in bed, and God just speaks to me. He's like, Aaron, I want you to take half of everything that you've saved over the next year take half of everything, and I want you to put it into a fund. And I want that fund to be used to advance the kingdom of God going to the unreached people groups throughout the world. I want you to call it 33rd Company, and I want you to begin to partner with people to send the best of the best in places that can never be reached for the Lord with measurable results through salvations. And I'm like, great, perfect. And so I wake up Saturday night, Pastor Chris, who was here last week, who spoke very eloquently and softly, um, we were going to the Bishop's Church, Pastor T.D. Jakes, who's the best preacher of all time and my hero. And so I get in the car with, uh, with Chris, and we're on the way, and I start to share this dream with him, and I'm like, dude, you'll never guess what God spoke to me last night. I'm like, and I don't know if it was him. I'm like, I need confirmation today, because I'm going to go home. And tell my wife what I heard. And I need to know that I know that I know that I know that that was the Lord. Because that's a big ask. And I'm like, I need when we're at T.D. Jake's church for somehow for this to get confirmed. So I'm not lying to you. In the middle of his message, now this is 8,000 people in this church. Two and a half hour service. There's 10 white people and two of us are me and Chris. And we're dancing. We love it. It was the best experience. I encourage you, all of you, if you go to Texas, go to his church. It will change your life. We need a little bit of that here. And um, so we're in the middle of his service, and he's just going for it. And all of a sudden, he stops. He's like, and somebody's here today. And God spoke to you last night. He gave you a plan for a purpose on your life, and you're questioning it. And you don't know if that was really the Lord. I'm here to tell you that was God, to stop doubting it and to begin to move forward with it. And I looked at Chris, and I'm like, the bishop just prophesied over me. I didn't care what he said. It was for me. And so I go home, go to where we were staying, and I tell Tash, I'm like, babe, this is what God wants us to do. And she's like, let's do it, because she's the real generous one, and I'm like the thinker. She's like, let's do it. I'm all in. And so we come back, and uh, God gives me a few people to go talk to about it. And literally within three months, we, between my wife and I and one other couple, we've already given over $100,000 to this fund. Now, I tell you that number to not, to not, impress you, but to simply stretch your faith. And I remember when God asked me in the dream and he said, will you, will you do this? I remember arguing with him and saying, but God, that means my son, he's not going to get the property that he really wanted. He's not going to, like, I, I had this vision of him on these quads out in our land, and I was like, but he's not going to be able to do that. And he's like, you're right, it's going to be delayed, but would you rather see thousands and thousands of people accept Jesus in their life? I was like, well, when you put it that way, That actually makes a lot of sense when you say it like that. But see, for the first time, we began to give in a way that stretched us as a family. And within three months, so that was beginning of December, within three months, Chris and I, we've already started, we actually are planning to do a crusade in Iraq in the fall of this year and the spring of next year. We're partnering with a guy by the name of David Popovici, who's a church planter uh, in Iraq. And uh, the first event ever in Iraq we're gonna do in the fall of this year, ever. They've never done an event like this, the spring one. We're talking about 15 to 20,000 Muslims filling an arena 
simply because two couples said, we want to give extravagantly. We're planning a trip to go to Tibet, which is the one of the most unreached countries in the world, that we're going to be going there to preach the gospel. Scott is going to take a team to go there and preach the gospel. We're planning to do 10 meetings in the hardest to reach places in the country. We've got the first one in August planning right now to do one in the darkest and deepest places in L.A. to begin to preach the gospel to the unreached people of L.A., We've already got, when we, we're, we're, we're talking about doing this crusade in Iraq, we've got entire groups of Kurdish military already planning on coming to this event. A thousand troops coming to an event. In my own hands, what I gave could only do so much. I could have never imagined that giving that, that sowing that to the Lord could have equated to seeing a crusade in Iraq, to seeing something happen, to see thousands upon thousands of people in one year say yes to Jesus. But when I give it to the Lord, when I begin to sow it to him and it becomes alive and dynamic, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it can do much more than I could ever imagine in my hand. Right, when God came to me, I said, but God, it's just the ingredients. What can this really do? It's not gonna have that much of an impact. But he looks at me and he says, you're right, on your own, it won't have much of an impact. But if you give it to me, I can multiply it and I can make it alive. And all of a sudden, years from now, we're going to look back and simply say, because a few people decided to be extravagantly generous, nations were impacted. God wants to create a place where you can be extravagantly generous. I was sharing with an individual here at the church about what my wife and I were doing with this fund and and he came back to me and he said, you know, God spoke to me and said, I need to start up a new business and to take all the profits from that new business and give it to the Lord. All the profits from the new business. There's another family that we've been talking to and they're, they, they've been giving to churches in Mexico and they're like, we need to double our giving. That I believe God is beginning to call people to a place of extravagant generosity to say, will you actually allow me to own everything? Will you allow me to own everything? He owns it all already. We just close it in our fist. And I will tell you that from the day that we decided to do this, we have an investment firm down in Clackamas. In the first two months of this year, January and February, we have grown more in two months than we did all of last year. That it's amazing what transpires when you begin to take the step to say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to see, my wife tells me this all the time, she's like, let's see if we can outgive him. Let's just see, because I've never heard it possible. Let's just test it. It's the only thing he says to test them on. I want to become a radical, radical giver. If we keep reading this, verse 12, it says, And surely the Lord lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour and a jar and an olive oil and a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that they may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first... I love that. He's like, it's okay. You can go home and die. But before you do it, before you do it, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it. To, he didn't even go with her. He's just like, bring it to me all the way right here. Go make your bread the last and then you can die. But bring it to me first. And bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends the rain upon the land. See, when we give, God will always bless but that's not why we give. Pastor Robert Morris, who's the author of the book that we gave everybody, says this phrase, and he says, we don't give to get, we get to give. 
It's a privilege. It is a privilege for my wife and I to give. We gave him the first fruits offering a couple weeks ago, and we gave a number that we, a year ago, didn't think we could ever give. And we stretched ourselves because I thought of one number, and then she doubled it, like I've told you she does every time. And we gave. And I'm telling you, I didn't give that money expecting God to give it back. I gave because it's a pleasure of mine. I, like, I enjoy it. Back when I was around 18 years old, um, I was praying. I was saying, God, I want you to teach me how to be generous. And very much like this story, I mean, it's a terrible prayer to pray. Because <laughs> he will. He was like, well, I want, okay, well, what do you have to give? I was like, I got nothing, right? I was like 18, going to college, spent way too much money on the first date of some girl I didn't end up marrying. And um, he's like, well, what do you have? I'm like, I got nothing. He's like, well, what do you have? I said, well, I got a car. Now, it's my first car. And you know, your first car is your baby. It was like a 2003 Pontiac Grand Am, clean, blue. It was perfect. Like, I was, I was bumping in that as a 16, 17, 18-year-old. I don't even know if they say that anymore, but I was. And he's like, I want you to give away your car. I'm like, Lord, anything but my car. Like, I can't give away my car. He's like, no, I want you to give away your car. So I gave away my car. And I... I expected the next morning, literally, there was going to be a Hummer in my driveway with the keys in the ignition and a boat behind it with my name on it and a little note from God in his handwriting that said, thank you, here you go. And I woke up that next morning, and you'll be shocked to learn that there was no Hummer and no boat in my driveway. There was nothing there. And a couple weeks went by, and finally my parents were like, so, what's the plan, son? Here's our old minivan. And I started to be a soccer dad before I was married or had children. But I learned a valuable lesson that I'm not giving to get anything back. I'm simply giving out of obedience to God, out of generosity to God. See, I gave an equation a couple weeks ago that said obedience plus generosity equals multiplication. Obedience as a believer is expected. Your obedience is expected. Tithing, stewardship, obedience is expected as a son of God, as a child of God. But generosity is the overflow. That's the extra. That's the, that's the giving above and beyond. And in obedience plus generosity, it equals multiplication. And oftentimes, I've got lots of people who I speak with, and they're very obedient, but they've lacked the generosity. Or I've got people who give, but they lack the obedience. It's the two combined that God begins to turn into multiplication in your life. And will you allow him to stretch you and learn that it's not about giving so I can get something back. It's simply giving because I want to be like my father. And my father, who is the most generous giver ever, as I become more like him and spend more time with him, I want to take on his nature as I take on the mind of Christ. As I begin to walk in his presence, I begin to take on his image, which is going to require me and it's going to require you to be generous. In your pursuit of him, there has to be an expectation in your life that says, I'm going to have to be generous, so I better instill now stewardship. I better start accumulating. I better start preparing myself to be generous. Baby, if you want to come to the piano here. Later in this story, if you read through, you're going to see a part where the widow's son becomes very sick. And it's because of her relationship with Elijah that Elijah comes back and heals her son. If you recall, we talked about how your finances are a training ground to receive the true riches of life. Here's a widow who gave her last 
and who gave it first to Elijah. Here's a widow who gave extravagantly and generously, and God looked and said, I can give that person true riches. Because true riches are the things that are eternal. True riches is not just more money. True riches is not just a greater 401k or you can retire 10 years earlier. True riches is the things that matter. And God looked at her and said, because of your faithfulness, because of your yes, I can now give you the true riches that I have in store for you. I'm telling you, your money is a training ground to begin to see God move mightily in your life. It's not because he needs your money. It's because he wants your heart. And you've got to let go. And you've got to surrender to him to say, God, I will trust you. One of the hardest things to trust him with is your money. It's easy to trust him with your kids. Oh, I'll just forget about kids. God's just going to take care of them, right? Oh, God, God, just shove them in the room. God will take care. He's going to teach them, Lord, my marriage. Oh, God, just, but with your money, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. Will you actually let God create a lifestyle of radical generosity in your life? And I believe that when you do, he's going to look at you and he's going to say, that's someone who I can begin to trust with the true riches. My wife and I had to change our lifestyle at the beginning of December to give what God asked us to give. It had to change. And you will have to change your lifestyle to live generously. You will. You'll have to have good stewardship. You'll have to have accumulation. You have to not make bad decisions. You have to ask the Lord before you make decisions. If, you, if you're in this room and, you, and you're saying, man, I, I want to live generously in my life and I want to be radically generous, I just want you to stand and I want to pray over you. If you want to begin a lifestyle to give, say, I want to be radical and extravagant in my generosity, I just want to pray over you. And if you don't stand, that's totally fine. I believe that God is beginning to do something in this church. I believe he's beginning to do something in many of you. I've had many people, even over, the, over this series, come to me and say, man, God's been stretching me with my finance in ways I could never have imagined. He's asking me to give. And I'm hearing testimonies after testimonies after testimonies. Even today, I had somebody come up to me and said, I gave something that we didn't think we could afford. All of a sudden, I got a 50% raise on something. Like, God will do it. All you've got to do is actually trust him. You've just got to say yes. My wife and I, we go to Disneyland. I walk up to the counter to say, to say, hey, how early can I get in the morning? She looks at my tickets. This lady who works there looks at my tickets and said, you know what? You paid too much for those tickets. Let me give you $444 back. I just walked up to her counter. Like, I can tell you stories after stories after stories. Who gives you money when you go there randomly? Nobody. My, my wife and I, we began to be very, very generous a couple years ago. For three years in a row, our income doubled. It doubled three years in a row, and it compounded. Like, I'm telling you, God wants to create a lifestyle of generosity in your life, but he's looking for you to take the first step. It's about moving forward. And that first step you take, God will begin to say, that's someone who I can begin to trust with more. So if you want to have that lifestyle of generosity, I just want you to raise your hands, and I want to pray over you. 
Father, I ask that everybody who's standing, everybody who's raising their hands and say, I want to have a lifestyle of generosity. God, I ask that you begin to quicken them, begin to stir them in their hearts to say that it's possible. God, that you can meet their needs. God, that their money is not their provider, that their possessions are not theirs, but it's all yours. We're simply stewards of what you've given to us. God, that we would be a people, that we'd be a church, that thinks greater, that thinks bigger than anything we have that says, God, with you, you the multiplier. That's not my job. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to hold on to what I have, but I'm going to sow it into the kingdom. I'm not going to think of that. I'm losing my seeds, but I'm simply making them come alive with you. God, and we pray for creativity, for people to begin to think of ways like starting a new business and giving all the profits away, for people to begin to, to sow into the kingdom of God in new and creative ways, for people to begin to go even above and beyond what they thought they were capable of. And God, begin to show us specific areas in our lives where we need to bring in stewardship. How can we become good stewards of what you've given us? Because God, we want the true riches. All that we're here on this earth to do is advance the kingdom of God. It's not about the bigger house. It's not about the nicer car. It's not about anything else. All those things are nice, and you love giving those to us, God. But our, our heart's cry is to simply see the world change and to come to know you. So God, we want to become partners with you. We want to become extravagantly generous, radical generosity, greater than we've ever imagined. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Before Luke closes, I just want to say one more thing. It is not about the zeros. When you're a giver and you become generous, it's not about the zeros. You might be thinking, but all I've got is this. That doesn't sound like as much as that person's given or this person's given. It's not about comparison. It's about being faithful and generous with what you've been entrusted with. Don't compare. One of the hardest things about creating a lifestyle of generosity is when you compare yourself to other people. Be faithful with, God, with what God has given you and be, find joy every time you give, no matter who else gives more or less or often. Amen? Amen.